All right. Well, welcome back, everybody, to Story, Symbol, Spirit, a podcast about how to make sense of Scripture. This is episode two, and we are so excited to be back with you all today. I'm joined, as always, by Jackie Mitchell. Hey. Uh, Jackie has a deep love for Scripture as well as a deep love for cats. No. She is a well-known cat enthusiast. <laughs> you have a cat. Why are you laughing? I, I am a cat tolerator. I tolerate the cat that's in my house for my husband. Uh, he was, he was a gift to my husband. The day we got married, my husband said, okay, now can we get a cat at the wedding? Yeah. At our wedding, like just during this, you know, the reception, he was like, can we get a cat now? I was like, <laughs> just hold on. I'm at my wedding, please. Um, so a year later we got a cat and he is just, we've had him for like, well, maybe half a year, maybe six months. We got him in August and he's just, he's horrible. He's, he's not well behaved. No. And my husband like doesn't really believe me that he's not well behaved. Like and it's not for lack of evidence. It's just that he like turns a blind eye. He takes the cat in terms of like disputes in the house. He takes the cat side. Yeah. So like the cattle, you know, knock over like all of the table setting I have on our dining room table. And Josh will watch that happen. And he's like, he's just a little guy. He wouldn't mean to do that. He would never do something like that. And I'm like, Jackie. we just watched him do that. <laughs> so he loves the cat. His name's so, Obi. Uh, after Obi. Oh, but after the prophet Obadiah, I assume. Ugh, I wish. It's after Obi-Wan Kenobi. This is just all, you know, very, my very sweet husband. <laughs> this is all his idea, so. Well, he does, if I'm not mistaken, he does claim that Star Wars is basically the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. Conveniently, any, like, nerdy thing he's really into is, yeah. like, it has, it's you know, a lot of, Christ-like, a lot of gospel themes. Yeah. People who people who love Star Wars and are Christians, they, they really do kind of say it's, like, the same thing. Yeah, and he tries to, like, guilt trip me into, like, watching a Star Wars show with oh, him. Oh, you don't he's like, like the gospel, you know, there's, a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of gospel themes in this. You don't. Oh, you don't want to watch Star Wars? You say, you, oh, you must not, yeah, you must not oh, like the gospel. Yeah, into the gospel? Okay. Yeah, we were talking about um, a very hot-button question the other day, which is whether or not our pets will be with us in heaven. Yeah. Which is kind of a complex theological issue, which maybe we'll get into in this podcast yeah. at some point. But you said you didn't know the answer to that question, but you were positive that Obi was not going yeah. to heaven. At the very least, he's rejected the gospel. If we've <laughs> presented it to him, he's definitely said no. But I said, you know, if for whatever reason I, I get to heaven, Obi's there, it'll be like the single best argument for a, against a works-based salvation. Because yeah. I haven't seen that cat do one good work. Yeah, he's not. <laughs> he's, he's not living in a salvific. No, manner. no, no. I'm not seeing any fruit of the spirit from him. But the grace sure. of God. You know what? The grace of God is strong. That's Jackie, powerful so. for Obi. That's powerful. Well, you don't know. <laughs> I actually think that you love Obi, but you're just kind of jealous because your husband obviously favors the cat over you. Oh yeah, it's unbelievable. <laughs> Josh is like, I'm hanging out with the cat. I can't hang out with you right now. I'm like, do you want to watch a movie? He's like, me and the cat are. <laughs> We're doing stuff. Sorry. Already in your young marriage, you've already been you've already been pushed down the. Been married pool. for like two years, and the cat has like already taken the throne. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's only three people in your household. <laughs> and I three and I'm at the bottom <laughs> in your household, and you are at the bottom. Yeah, exactly. Of of that hierarchy. Right. Well, we'll pray for Obi. Please. Because I. Well, I, pray I, for me. Don't pray for Obi. He's oh fine. yeah, I guess yeah, we'll pray he's for you not. Right. I'm not worried about. Do you think Do you think Josh prays for Obi or you more? Obi. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I'm actually going to ask him that question because that would be interesting. All right. Well, uh, we're back for episode two. The point of this podcast, like we talked about last time, is we are going to go through the story of Scripture using the framework of story, symbol, spirit. And so if you haven't listened to that uh, first episode, mm -hmm. uh, go back and, and listen to that just as kind of a primer or an introduction into what we're doing. Uh, we, we talked last time about this idea that hopefully by talking about the Bible in this framework or through this lens 
the things of the Bible that seem scary or impenetrable to us, we might actually find that those are the most important parts mm-hmm. and those are the beautiful parts yeah. and that God has revealed himself to us in Scripture. And so whatever's in there, no matter how weird or strange or scary it seems, he wants us to have that, mm-hmm. right? And so you, you had mentioned an incident, uh, I think it was maybe a podcast that you listened to where somebody was talking about how one of the reasons they ended up kind of leaving the faith is they it seemed they they felt like every time they opened up the Bible yeah. they were terrified yeah. of what they might read because they didn't feel like it was defensible yeah or that they were able yeah. to like explain it yeah. they were like embarrassed by it right yeah and what a way what a way to live and I think you know the the hope is that like we can alleviate some of that because I think that's a common fear yeah is to is to say. I believe this and I think I believe this, but I'm scared if I look too much into it, maybe I, maybe I don't, or maybe there's too many hard things that I can't understand. And so I have to walk away from it. Right. And sometimes that idea comes from leaders who are teaching the Bible, because like we talked about last time, a lot of times you'll read these stories and there's all this crazy stuff in there. And I guess maybe out of fear, the, the, Bible teacher or whatever just kind of says like, well, don't worry about all that stuff that actually interests you or that you have questions about. Like, here's the main point of the story. Right. And that actually communicates that like, well, you might as well not read the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. Because when I read it, I see these things that are weird that I want an explanation for. But the people that are supposed to be able to help me in that tell me that that not to worry about it. And it's well intentioned, I think, a lot of the time. But it is. Yeah. That that was very Sunday school when you're like, what about this part? Or we never talk about revelation yeah 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 in my third grade sunday school class and you know the third grade sunday school teacher is like yeah don't worry about that you're fine and and you know i remember this because because i'm a product of young life which is a a parachurch ministry that that focuses on high school students and i remember we i would sit around with my volunteer leaders who Mm -hmm. were just a few years older than me really right they were in college i was in high school it's not like they were these wise sages (laughs) and they're not like technically trained in the bible which is okay yeah but when I would ask these, like, you know, questions that are actually, you know, difficult about what the Bible says or how we're supposed to live, a lot of times they would just kind of be like, let's let's not. Yeah, don't worry about that. Let's not get into that. And yeah. that's not because they were, you know, they didn't have any, like, ill intentions. Yeah, they didn't want to purposefully lead you astray. Right, right. Yeah. They weren't saying, like, you know, you're not allowed to ask questions. It's genuinely like, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Like, I'm trying to communicate to you yeah. whatever, that Jesus yeah. loves you, that the gospel is real. And you're asking me, you know, these crazy questions yeah. about the the book of Leviticus yeah. or, you know, whatever, whatever yeah. we just read. That's like, uh, and, and so what we want to do in this podcast is we kind of want to address that by, by taking on those questions and those parts of the Bible head on and eliminating a lot of the roadblocks, hopefully, yeah. that people have when they read it. And so we're not just going to tell you how to do that, but we're actually going to go through it with you and read the scripture through this lens, story, symbol, spirit. And we'll, we'll hopefully, I mean, the goal is to go through the whole Bible yeah. by, by doing that. So I think, I think that's going to be fun. Now, what we talked about is before we actually get into the story and before we actually get into Genesis chapter one, we have to talk about like what this thing is. Right. Like, what is the Bible? That's, actually, set this up. that's actually a really good question. And w- one thing that happens in, you know, popular discourse of any kind is buzzwords or like buzzy phrases become... Yeah descriptors. And if you don't define what those buzzwords mean, then you could be talking about completely different things. 
right? So, right. so today we're going to talk about the Bible being, number one, the Word of God. What does that mean? Hmm. What's it mean to say that the Bible is the Word of God? And specifically, how does that interact with the fact that it's written by people? Yeah. Can it be both? Yeah. Like, wh- wh- am I supposed to believe that what is written in the Bible is from God or from man? Right. Right? Uh, then we're going to talk about what it means to say that the Bible is inspired. Mm-hmm. And so that's also uh, a good question about how does God move in this world through mm-hmm. humans to, to produce something like the Scriptures. And then we're going to talk about is it inerrant? Is it without error? That's, that's something that most churches do affirm. Yeah. That the Bible's without error. But that's, that's a kind of a confusing thing because yeah. sometimes you read the Bible... And it, and it seems like there's contradictions or there's things that sure. don't quite add up. And so we're going to talk about that. And then finally, we're going to talk about whether or not the Bible is authoritative. But really what we're going to talk about is what do we mean when we say that the Bible is authoritative? Right. Does it have authority over your life? And if so, what does that mean? Yeah. What does it require yeah. of you to to believe? Um, and so this is this kind of goes to any discussion that you have that matters. You have to define your terms. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked uh, last episode about some of the issues that we see in the culture war where people are arguing about something. And a lot of times what happens is you end up arguing past each other yeah. because you're not actually talking about the same thing. Yeah. So what somebody who is denying the inerrancy of Scripture, what they mean by inerrancy, that might actually be different than sure. what the Christian yeah. church historically proclaims about inerrancy. And so you're having this conversation. You're getting frustrated with each other, maybe People are yelling at each other online or whatever, uh, but you're not even talking about the same thing, so it's not useful. It's not a useful conversation. So uh, the fact that you know, hopefully, uh, if people actually listen to this podcast and engage with this podcast, like at some point, hopefully, people will ask questions and contact yeah. us and talk to us about different parts of the story. And, and if that's if they're going to do that, then we at least want to have a framework or, or a, a foundation of what right. we mean when we talk about the Bible. Yeah, no matter what passage we're approaching, these are our presuppositions. Yes. So you can always assume that, you know, refer back to this episode if we're in Judges, if we're in Matthew, if we're in Genesis, doesn't matter. Yep. These are our presuppositions yeah. about the Bible Good. and how we came to them. Good. So I guess we'll, we'll start off with this idea that the Bible is the Word of God. Mm-hmm. So what, what, do you th- what does that mean? Yeah, I, I think... We have a lot of ideas about this in mm-hmm. um, in Christian culture. I think the Word of God obviously um, has authority in and of itself. So we'll talk about authoritative later. Yeah. But to have the inspired Word of God in the Bible, to me, that you know, the the assumption sometimes is that you know, God wrote that, right? Yeah. And so how did he write that? Right. And so how did that come about? Why did he write that? Mm-hmm. And is that his only word? Or, you know, is this just right. something he said? Is this the final thing that he right. said to humanity? Is this, you know, God's word to us? Is this God's word to himself? What does it reveal? It brings up a lot of interesting questions. I yeah, think. it does. It does. And, and, you know, what we're going to talk about, you know, at some point on here is that, you know, when we pray... We believe that we're actually in yeah. communion with God. Yeah. And so we believe that God speaks to us. Yeah. Is that different than the Bible? Mm-hmm. Like, is that word from God that you might get in your prayer life or in your devotional life or just in your day-to-day life, 
is that different than the, than the Bible? Right. And, and if so, how and, and what is specifically, you know, what do we right. as, uh, specifically attribute to the Bible? And if it's the inspired word of God, but we're already speaking to God through prayer, does it matter that we read the Bible? Yeah. We already talked to him? Mm, that's, a good, that's a good question. It's so. a good question. So the way that I would kind of set the foundation for talking about the Bible as the word of God is I would define the Bible as God's self-revelation. Mm-hmm. So it is. So revelation is just a word that means a revealing. Yeah. So God reveals Himself in Scripture, and so one of the foundational uh, points of you know Orthodox historic Christianity is that God is the Creator and the Sustainer of the universe. Mm-hmm. And so God is not just a bigger, better being than we are. God is being. Right. And all that we are, and all that exists is is in him. Mm-hmm. And so he's not really comparable to us. It's, it's a different, you know, we as creatures cannot possibly understand the creator unless he intentionally and willfully reveals himself to us. Right. Right. There's a creator creature distinction is what it's called in, in theology. And uh, one of the things I would actually argue is as opposed to what's kind of in our current modern zeitgeist, I actually don't think that we can possibly understand ourselves outside of God revealing us to us. Right. You know, we are incredibly complex beings. The Bible says that we're images of God. So how do we understand who we are? And you look around and you think about the the common assumptions that are in pop culture right now about what it means to be a human. And so much of it is just incorrect, yeah. uh, at least when you compare it to the biblical understanding of what it means to be a human. You know, people will say, that we're just animals like every other animal. But that's not true. You know, uh, people will say that that humans are good by nature. Yes. Yeah. And so if we can remove external oppression, right. tyranny, or internal repression, then we can actually flourish. But that's obviously not true. We think that we as humans are logical, rational yeah. beings. And so... If only we have enough information, we can piece it together, and we will make the logical, rational decision. <laughs> but that's obviously not true. Yeah. Those are like foundational things about humanity, and we get those wrong. And so the question is, why do we think those things about ourselves? And to me, the answer is because we don't understand ourselves. Right. And so the Bible is not only God's revelation to us about himself, right. but it is his revelation to us about us and what kind of world we live in. Yeah. And so I would say that God intentionally reveals himself yeah. to us in two ways. The first way is what's typically called natural revelation. This is the common grace of God. So creation, the world, our experience, to some degree or another, reveals God to us. Mm-hmm. There's this really important passage in Romans chapter 1 where God says that even those who are not his people, even those who are not the people of God, the nation of Israel, that he has specifically revealed himself to with, with the scriptures, there's no excuse because uh, the creation reveals God yeah. to them. Now, that doesn't mean that those people are supposed to have come up with the same level of specific understanding of God. All right, and that's where the inspired word, the Bible, comes right. in, I think, because right. you can pray to God and have a conversation with him, but he's revealed something very specific in the Bible right. about who we are, about our history, yeah. specifically, you know, a historical account of 
the nation of Israel yeah. and you know their salvation and our salvation through Christ, which right. is typically not what God and I talk about in prayer. Yeah, yeah, right, you know? right. So, right, and so you know when when God says like you know these former pagans right. in Rome, uh, you should have known through the natural world that yeah. you shouldn't lie, steal, cheat murder, sacrifice your children to the gods, spill the blood of the innocent, oppress the poor. Um, You you, you shouldn't, you know, live with the the kind of sexual immorality that was there. Uh, Basically, what Paul is saying is like, enough has been revealed for you to not be evil. Yeah. And yet, you are are. evil. Yeah. And so that's important because to whom much is given, much is required. Mm -hmm. And so once the scriptures are revealed to you even more, is is required of you absolutely because uh the if if creation and reality is a general revelation of god the scriptures are the specific revelation of god right because i think creation the the response that the revelation of god in creation gives us uh, or prompts us to respond to is there is a god yeah but the and, bible and prompts and us to a much more real and a much more intricate response. Right. Because I think I think general revelation would tell you there is a God and he's like this. Yes. And yeah. the world is like this in a way. Yeah. And so you can act according to that or you can act contrary to that. Right. And you'll be held accountable for that. Uh, but once the redemptive history of God in the people of Israel yeah. is given to Israel, they're held to a much higher standard. Right, yeah. Right? Like, you know, uh, in some ways, it, when you read the scriptures, it seems like God deals more harshly with with Israel mm-hmm. than he does with the, the surrounding nations. And part of the reason of that is because he's given them so much. Right. He's given his people so much. And so we as Christians, we have been given the scriptures and the Old Testament, the New Testament, and that has revealed God to us so that we can know him. Yes. Now, we're not going to know him fully, right? Mm-hmm. As Christians, you have to always leave room for divine mystery. And, and we don't know everything about God. And actually, one, I think, common misconception is people think when they get to heaven, all their questions will be answered. Mm, that's, also, that's also never promised. Yeah. And even when we are in our final state of glory, we will still be finite beings right. who serve an infinite God. And so I think that there will be plenty that we don't understand, right. even in our glorified state. And so there's always going to be mystery, but God does want us to know him. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about in Genesis that actually the main point of all of creation is so that God can be united with his creation and, yeah. and so that they can know him and he can know them, right? And as images of God, the point of our existence is to be united to him. Mm-hmm. And so he discloses himself in the history of salvation. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes um, this is actually what trips people up. Because if God is going to reveal himself to us in history, then he's going to have to do it in historical contexts. Yeah. So there is no way that God can disclose himself in a, in a general way that transcends all cultural norms. He's gonna, it's, it's something in theology called the scandal of specificity, where God reveals himself to specific people in specific times, in specific places, in specific contexts. And so God is not going to speak and act 2,000 years ago in the Middle East the way that he would speak and act if he was doing the same thing with us today, post-industrial revolution, post-enlightenment, right. in, a, in a technologically advanced America. 
And so one of the things that means is that that means that reading the scriptures is strange. Yeah. Because you are reading the way that God revealed himself to a specific culture in a specific way. I always think about this. If you dropped me in America in 1800, I would really struggle to understand what was going on. Yeah. That would be a foreign culture. Yeah. That would be a, so like I wouldn't know the norms. I wouldn't know why people were doing what they were doing, why they were dressed the way that they were dressed, why right. they were worshiping the way that they were worshiping, what different things meant in that society. That's 200 years ago in America where they're speaking the same language. Right. What we read when we read the Bible is something that's like something like 4,000 years old, mm -hmm. some of it, definitely at least 2,000 years old, and it's in the ancient Near East. Mm hmm. And so that means that, that there's some work that has to go into understanding what God was doing. To some degree, you have to understand the culture. To some degree, you have to understand the context, because the fact that God has chosen to reveal himself in time and space and history means that he has to do that specifically in a way that those receiving and producing the scriptures will understand. Right. Right? Right, exactly. So you see this trip people up because they want God to explain himself in a way that he would explain himself if the scriptures were given to me today. Yeah. But I think it's interesting because I don't think we really approach any other piece of literature that way. Think about like your English class in high school. Yeah. What did you do before you read like the Odyssey? You learned about the culture in which it was written, right? right? Or at least hopefully you did. At least to a degree. Yeah, to a degree. And so for some reason, I think the assumption has become with the Bible and this is partially because, like, the gospel is always clear, and we can always, you know, garner, you know, yeah. good information from the Bible. But there is something to be said about learning the context in which it was written mm -hmm. and understanding the culture and understanding the authors, the human authors that God, you know, divinely inspired. Yeah. And so I think that helps some of that ambiguity mm -hmm. when we come across a passage and say, well, I don't understand that. We can, you know, either say, well, let me dive into this and try to understand the culture, or we can say, well, that doesn't seem relevant for me. Right. We'll just skip over that. And this is why assumptions are important, because if we're saying this is the word of God, this is how he's revealed himself, yeah. and we're also saying that he's done that in a historical way, that means that there's work to do to uncover the meaning in, yeah. in, in the context of that. But it also means that it's worth it. Yeah, if he's revealed it to us, it, it's important. If it's his word. Right. If this is what he wants us to have then it's worth going through all of that because, you know, one of the, the core tenets of our faith is that God speaks through sacred scripture. Right. And that sacred scripture is powerful. Mm -hmm. um, Brad East uh, wrote a book on the doctrine of, of scripture, and he has a quote in there that says this. He says, as God's living word, it has the power to do what God does in the gospel, to convict us of sin, to call us to repentance, to convert us to Christ, to elicit faith, to heal the sick, to forgive the transgressor, to build up the frail, to comfort the downtrodden, to expel the devil, to rebuke the wicked, to instruct the faithful, to sanctify the elect, to equip the saints, and much more. This is the effectual power of Holy Scripture. So this book that you pick up when you read it, although we've talked about some of the things that make it difficult, if it's the Word of God, then it's powerful right. and it's effectual and it's mystical, and we have to approach it as such, and yeah. we have to do the work to understand what it says because that's what it is, You're right? and that's what it right. can do. Yeah, absolutely. We have to give reverence mm -hmm. to God and his word, mm -hmm. and if we don't, we're doing ourselves a discredit not learning about yeah. what he's very graciously and very 
I would say obviously to some degree revealed to us. Right. And so, so, so we begin that the Bible is the word of God. Yeah. Okay. What, what are some, other, what are some other buzzwords that we should get out of the way? We've got inspired. inspired. And so how was it inspired? How, tell, tell me like in your experience, how do people usually use that yeah. term? So like when, how do they use that in a sentence? Like, inspired is like, you know, I, this play was inspired by these true events, yeah. you know, or, or yeah. this book is inspired by another book that I read, yeah. but I've changed this or, you know, it's, it's, it's somewhat moderately influenced or this, this was from the base of like my, my thought process, but mm-hmm. I created something. Yeah. Right. Yeah, definitely. So in that, in the word inspiration or inspire, you, you can see, if you just break down the word, you can see it's like spirit, mm-hmm. in spirit. So like the spirit is is in it, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so it really comes from 2 Timothy 3.16 where it says all scripture is God-breathed mm-hmm. and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So that word God-breathed, which is really where we get inspiration, yeah. spirit um, is the same as breath, mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of the word, like we even say, like it, it is in the words that we use to describe breathing too, like yeah. to breathe is to, to spirate, to, to spirate. Yeah. And so inspiration means the spirit of God is in it. But the interesting thing about that word is that it's the earliest recorded use of that word in Greek. Hmm. Paul's, Paul's use of it there. There's, there's no previous use of it. So Paul is using words that, that mean something, but he's kind of like making up a compound word hmm. to, to, to teach this. And so I think that the most uh, intuitive way that people tend to understand the Bible being the inspired word of God is, is they think that the Bible is like a product of God whispering the words yes. into the ears yeah. of the authors. Here's what to write, right. when to write it. Yeah. And go into a trance and write it. Yeah, the so, whole thing. So then you know people take this even further yeah. and they and they say it's like an uh, unconscious trance yeah, where you're right. just uh transcribing what God is whispering into your ear. Yeah. And that's actually not the Christian doctrine of inspiration. Yeah. That is the the Muslim doctrine of of how the Quran was was given to Muhammad, which is hmm. why they think that you can only read it in the original language. You can only read it in Arabic because the Arabic was spoken to Muhammad in like an unconscious state, but that's not, that's not actually what, what Christians believe. The reason that's intuitive for us and that we go there is because we have somewhat created what I would call like a false binary where we think that if God is at work, that means that humans aren't. Hmm. So we look at something and we say, was that the work of God or was that the work of humans? Was that the work of God or was that the work of science? Hmm. And then if, if, uh, if man is at work, then God is not. So right. it's either God or it's man. And the interesting thing about that is that's all, if you read the Bible, yeah. that's almost exactly the way that God never works. Yeah. You know, like there's like very few stories in the Bible of God just doing something. Right. And, and pre-fall, if you think about, you know, in the garden, yeah. God gives Adam a directive right. and gives him work right. and they work together. Right. In creation. Exactly. Right? So. Exactly. And that's like, uh, you know, I don't exactly know why that's intuitive for us, but uh, I think I, I talked to you about this over the pandemic. I was listening to a podcast that was not at all about the Bible uh, or really it wasn't even like a Christian podcast, but uh, some of the hosts obviously have, 
have faith and and some of them some of them don't and they were just kind of talking about the pandemic and the virus and this was like in the summer of 2020 where things started to get better for a second like a little bit people started to go outside again and like you know you could go to restaurants with a mask on or whatever for a second and then it got bad again and you couldn't do that anymore but it was in that time and one of the hosts of this podcast were like you know it's interesting because you know people want to know like where is god in all of this but he's obviously like it's getting better so god is working yeah and the other podcast host was like well with all due respect to your faith, like that's not God who's doing that. That's science. Right. Hmm. And to me, that's just a very theologically incorrect way of looking at the world. It's yeah. never either God or, or man. When God works, he almost always works through humans and he works through human persons. And like you said, that's the whole point of Genesis 1 and 2. Right. He's created us to work through us. He's partnered with us. To partner with us. Right. He wants communion with us. He could have easily created us to be, you know, automatons that that just yeah. do whatever he wants with no consciousness and no freedom right. and no liberty, but that's not the way that he's created us because that's not what that's not the world that he created. Yeah. So the same thing is true about how scripture came to be. You know, he he moved in the lives of the the people who recorded and preserved the scriptures to bring about what he wants us to have. Mm. Um, and so it's both human and divine. Mm. The scriptures, the inspired word of God is both human and divine because the way that God moves in the creation that he's created is through us. Mm. Um, and so uh, I would define inspiration as this. Inspiration is that work of God wherein he providentially prepared and moved the human authors, enabling them to receive and communicate according to their individual personalities and styles and situations, the truth that he would have his church know for his glory and for their salvation. Hmm. And so what that means is that what we have is exactly what God wants us to have in all of its diversity, in all of its confusion, in all of the ways that we think we might have done it differently if we were God. What we have is, is what he wants us to have. So let me ask you a, a follow-up question on sure. that then. Well, so why why does it matter that it's divinely inspired and not just a good book written by people who love God? What separates it from reading a Christian book, and how is that inspiration different? Yeah, so so I think that you know Christian books are to a degree inspired by God, mm-hmm. right? It's just that the the process of of creating, recording, preserving, and then putting together the scriptures. Uh, according to church tradition and church history, is that that is the specific word of God. There's right. a reason that that really good C.S. Lewis book that you read that has really helped you in your faith is not considered sacred scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's based on sacred scripture. Yeah, that's true. But the primary revelation of God has been put through the whole historical process yeah. that all of which has has been inspired. Right. And what you know what that means is that the the authors who wrote the Bible and who preserved it like you think about their life. Like the prophet Isaiah was born to into a family and he had experiences and he was shaped into a certain kind of person and then he was called by God in a certain kind of way and God spoke to him in a certain kind of way. And all of that including his experiences and his upbringing that is all part of the inspired process. 
Like, there's a reason that Paul was a Pharisee. Hmm. There's a reason that God called somebody who was persecuting the church, because something about Paul's experience, and this is what you see in the way that he goes about, absolutely, you know, expounding the Old Testament and understanding how Jesus re- relates to it. You know, if you were a Pharisee in that day, you had probably the entire Old Testament memorized. Yeah, you would spend the first ten years of your life as a Pharisee training to memorize this, the, all of the scrolls. So you think about the way that Paul speaks and the way he uses the Old Testament, and sometimes you're just like, well, maybe God must have like snapped into his brain like all these like miraculous ways of recalling Scripture. And it's like, well, actually, I think the more likely explanation is that God providentially prepared him for his mission. Yeah. And the same is true of everyone who who writes Scripture. And so, uh, you know, it's it's not just the the we actually take inspiration a step further as the church, and it's not just the reception and the recording of the word that is inspired, but it's it's the preservation of the word mm-hmm. that's inspired. There's a reason. Uh, maybe we'll talk about this next time yeah. with a guest, but there's a reason why, you know, the Iliad, you have a couple copies of it. You have a couple copies of it. The Bible, not that much later than the Iliad, you have thousands upon thousands of copies way closer to the date of their writing. Well, yeah. how could that be? Well, because God has providentially moved and prepared, even the preservation of, of Scripture. And then not just the preservation of Scripture, but what the church calls the confection of Scripture. Mm. So if you think about baking, it's called confection because you're adding a bunch of ingredients together, and then it becomes something as a whole. Mm-hmm. And so the Bible as a whole is, is inspired by God. Mm-hmm. It's not just that Okay, the book of Genesis was inspired by God, and then the book of you know uh, Exodus, and then Leviticus, and then Numbers and Deuteronomy. Like they're all individually inspired by God, and then someone came along and put them together. And someone now, was like, "Hey, this this makes sense together." Right, right, right. This yeah. is the way that we understand it. Yeah, you know, it, this it, was inspired by God. Yeah, the whole thing, the whole thing, the whole overarching story. Yep. And so the confection of Scripture, the the putting together of Scripture, and right. the canonization of Scripture according to the Christian faith, is all equally a product of, of the Spirit's superintendence. Mm-hmm. It's inspired, inspirited to, to have what we have. God is, like you said, God is the author of Scripture as a book, considered as a whole, not right. just the individual sing, single things right. in there. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, we, we probably don't need to go into this too much, but we also believe in something called illumination, Hmm. which is where when you read the Bible as a Christian indwelt by the Spirit, yes. you're illumined by the Spirit to understand it. Mm-hmm. When, when Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, that means something. It means that it is possible for you without the Spirit to be unable to understand the Bible. Yeah, I've heard people talk about it like this. Um, uh, we talked about me reading sheet music last time, yeah. right? So uh, sometimes you hear people who critique the scriptures who aren't believers, and you're kind of like, how, how do you not understand some of this stuff? Like, you're smart, yeah. you're learned, you seem to care a lot about this subject, so how are you coming to such like, weird conclusions? How do you not understand you know, some of these presuppositions and these assumptions? And part of it is, I think, this illumination factor yeah. where... Uh, you know, if I sat and I listened to you guys play our worship team and I can basically say, oh, I thought that was good. 
Or like if you mess up really bad, I could be like, I think that <laughs> I think you messed up. I there. think that was bad. I don't know. But for me to sit there and critique the music theory, right? It would be it would be gibberish. Right. You wouldn't have an argument to stand on. And if I tried, it would be bad. Right. Because I don't understand music. Well, that's just how I watch sports. Yeah, exactly. Why wouldn't that guy do that thing? <laughs> and Josh is like, that's not even how the game works. Yeah, when I when I I love my grandma so much, and she loves sports. Yeah. But uh, w- when we watch sports together, she like the Ohio State would be playing football, and, she, and like somebody would get the ball, and she would just yell like, "Get him! Get him! Get him! Get him! Get him!" <laughs> until like it ended. And you're just kind of like, okay, well, like you're, there's something that's not like yeah. connecting the intuitive, like this is how sports work. Well, and I think from the outside, it is easy to craft arguments when you you know don't know the rules of the game because you can just ignore that and say you should just do this, yeah, right, or this is how it should work. Right. Which is like, if you talk to someone who knows how that sport works, it's like, well, this is why they wouldn't do that. They're right. the best you know, in their field. Yeah, so and so if I talked to our music director, Eddie, yeah. and I was like, I think, you I, you know, theoretically <laughs> speaking, like I think when you guys, you know, went from this key to this key, like I think that that, you know, isn't the right thing. I don't even, I can't even like. You can't even, you say. can't even come up with a. But if I, but if I did go to him and say that he, and he was being gracious with me, he would just tell me why he did that. Yeah. And his answer would make a lot more sense than mine. Right. And, and so like, uh, th- this is somewhat controversial, but I actually think that without the spirit of God within you illuminating the scriptures, you will not come to the right conclusions. Hmm. You can be very learned people like Bart Ehrman. Yeah. And you're not going to read it right because your eyes are, are not open. Your ears are not opened mm-hmm. because it's spirit produced and it's spirit received. Yeah. Right. So the biggest, uh, or, or, or like the, the, the summary of this, I would say is that everything from the, the people who wrote the scriptures to the word that they received to write to the production of it, to the preservation of it, and then to the mm-hmm. church's reception of it yes. is all the work of the Holy Spirit. That's yeah. what the, the doctrine of inspiration means. So let's talk about inerrancy then. Inerrancy. Yeah. So this is a controversial one. Why, why, why do you think this is controversial? I think this is controversial because this is the biggest argument used against scripture from, I would say, from non-Christians. Because I think that it's hard if you're not a Christian to argue whether, you know, someone believes that scripture is inspired. Yeah. It's like, that's hard to argue against and authoritative because I can say, you know, well, that doesn't apply to me. I don't believe in it. Right. But I do think that this is one that gets focused on because this is the argument you know, if you're if you're not a Christian, this is the one you would pick and point out and say, well, I don't think this lines up yeah. here in this book with this book. And so mm-hmm. none of it lines up. Yes. Right. If one thing's inerrant, it's all inerrant. Right? right. Or I mean, if one thing's errant, it's all errant. Right. So, yeah. 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 It's either without error. It's right. Not, or it's right? not. Yeah. Yeah. So this is an important one for Christians to to come to an understanding of because uh all Orthodox Christians believe that the Bible is inerrant. Right. So if you hold any kind of continuity with church tradition, including Jesus, yeah. you think that the Bible is inerrant. And yeah. so that means that whatever the Bible teaches is true. Right. Now, the hard work is making sure that we have an understanding of what the Bible actually teaches. And like we've been talking about, that, that requires translation and interpretation, and that stuff can get messy. But the question of is, of inerrancy is is really is the Bible telling the truth in what it teaches, 
And the, the Christian worldview of inerrancy, the Christian view of inerrancy would say yes. And so the life of a Christian in a faithful community guided by faithful teachers and leaders is to understand, internalize, and imply the true teachings of the Bible. Right. Um, and so what's happened as, you know, the, the secular religion, which I do think that secularity is a religion. So they, that word tends to mean like it's not a religion, like it's juxtaposed to religion. Yeah. But it's a worldview yeah. that has truth, that has a gospel, that has good news, that has a promise of some kind of salvation. And so right. it's, you know, what the modern progressivism is a religion. Right. Right. Um, and, and so that, that religion has challenged the biblical worldview. Mm-hmm. And the scientific revolution has challenged the, the biblical worldview. And in defending the truth of the Bible, um, it has led some people, and, and typically you'll call this tradition like fundamentalism, to kind of make a caricature of what inerrancy means. Yeah. Right? So when it says that Jesus feeds 5,000 people, like what if it was 4,987? And who counted? Is that like would, would that be would he right. be, would that not be true? Well, is that how you tell a story? Is because that error? Yeah, yeah, exactly. If we have a service on Sunday and there's a lot of people there, I'll probably say, yeah, there was like 800 people there. Right. There well, could have been. What if there's 814? 814. There could have been 600. I'm bad at counting. Yeah. You know. Now, now there comes a context uh, where, like in in whatever context, a certain level sure of precision is is required. Right. But it depends on the context, right? If uh, if there if there were twenty people at church, and you and said I there said were eight hundred, now that, I'm just that would be not true. Now I'm just lying. The, yeah. the, the context <laughs> requires a certain right. level of specificity, but um, but we don't speak with absolute precision. Mm-hmm. We don't tell stories that way. That doesn't mean your stories are false. Yeah. We don't recount events that way. Yeah, and you and I could look at the same event and recount the event differently and still be correct about how the event occurred, right? Yeah, exactly. We might have been focused on different things. Right. You might be better at counting than me. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> it, it, it's really like all of those things kind of kind of come together. Right. And so in my opinion, that exaggerated view of, of inerrancy does not let the Bible be what it is, mm-hmm. which is a divine and human revelation. Right. Nor is that what the Bible's trying to convey. Right. They're, it's not trying to convey a scientific argument on whether it is true. Exactly. That wasn't the presupposition of the biblical authors. Yes, and that That, doesn't... That God was real. You know, they already believed that. This wasn't an argument to if God was real. And that doesn't mean that it's contradictory to a scientific view. It just means that that's not what the biblical authors were trying to get across. And if you believe in inspiration, that means that that's not exactly what God was trying to get across. Right. Now, if there was no... Exodus story, then the Bible would not be true. Hmm. If if Jesus didn't die on a cross, then the Bible wouldn't be true. If Jesus was hmm. not resurrected, Paul says this. Yeah. In First Corinthians fifteen, yeah. he says, "If Jesus did not, if he was not raised from the dead, then, then everything we believe is yeah. in vain, and you and I are to be the most pitied people on earth." So there, there is truth. That has to be true, right? In the Bible, you just have to read it for for what it is. You know, we don't speak precisely even about phenomena, right? You know, we we say uh, that um, the sun rises. It does not. We know this. the The sun precisely does not rise. Yeah. 
it doesn't move. Yeah. Right. Was, we we live in a heliocentric galaxy. Yeah. So so we are you know rotating around the sun, and our days is the the rotation of the Earth, and so the sun does not rise. So yeah. if I tell you that the sun rose this morning at eight o'clock, am I lying to you? No. No, because I mean phenomenologically speaking right. as a phenomenon that i experienced that's true yeah that's how i experienced it yeah and, and that's a true thing right it did now if i said that the sun did not rise yesterday i would be lying right or if i said the sun rose at 8 p.m i would be lying we'd call someone because yeah because we did and if it did <laughs> you know we would be in trouble as as, yeah. as a planet um but but it's true because it communicates the way that we communicate um and and so we have to we have to understand that the Bible is is communicating in those ways. You know, they're recounting the battles in the way that humans recount the battles, right? They're, they're talking about the experiences of wandering in the wilderness, the way that humans would recount those experiences. Right. It doesn't mean that it's legendary material that's not true. It doesn't mean that it's fiction. It doesn't mean that after the fact someone made that up in order to make a theological point. That would not be true. Right. What we believe is that the the story of Scripture is true, that God really did reveal himself in this way, that he really did move in this way, that these were the people that he moved through, and that this is a good faith retelling of that in language that humans use to communicate mm -hmm. events and phenomena. And so uh, in that regard, I think that the Bible is inerrant. Mm -hmm. All that it teaches is truth from God, and it is wholly true in all of its affirmations. Yeah, yeah. So that would be the way that I would think about inerrancy. Hmm. So let's talk about authority then. So if the two before were true, so if the Bible is inspired, we believe that, and then if it's inerrant, so if it's inspired and it's inerrant, yeah. that leads us to ask the question, what authority does it have over mm. me? Yeah, so, I mean, as Christians, we believe that the Bible is authoritative yeah. over our lives. We hold ourselves in submission to Scripture. We hold ourselves under the authority of Scripture. We mm -hmm. submit ourselves to, to the Bible. And so the Bible teaches what the church, which is all Christians, so the Bible teaches what the church is to believe and how we are to behave. Yeah. That, that's what, you know, the authority of Scripture means. And it actually makes sense because we just said that it comes from God yeah. and that it's true, yeah. right? So the authority of Scripture, like Scripture derives its authority because of who it's from right. and what it is. Yeah. It is the Word of God, and it's from God, and it's true. So it holds authority over our life. Um, you know, divine authority, if the world is set up the way that we Christians claim, it actually has no bounds. There's no part of your life that is not under the authority of the God who created you right. and sustains your being. It's, it, it, and so mo many of the, the common cultural, you know, quips about, you know, whatever, God should stay out of the bedroom yeah. or like stay out of your personal preferences or whatever, it's, it's silly because yeah. that's actually a denial of the doctrine of creation. Right. If God has created you, then he has authority over you. Right. And that's all parts of your life. And uh, we'll talk more about how we think that submitting to God leads to the greatest freedom, happiness, blessedness, fulfillment. Right.
But that's not actually the point. The point is that you are his. Yeah. And so he's revealed himself in this way. He has taught us through redemptive history and, and what's been recorded in scripture and the tradition of the church. He has taught us what we are to believe and, and, yeah. and how we are to act. Yeah. And the whole Bible is authoritative. That's right. So as Christians, you know, we don't get to just pick and choose. Well, I like what Jesus said right. and, uh, you know, some of Paul's letters. That's right. Well, Jesus says, you know, and Paul says that the Old Testament scriptures are relevant for mm -hmm. our lives, right? Yes. So all of this book, all 66 books are true and relevant for our lives. That's right. I don't remember if we talked about this last time, but, uh, you know, uh, the Old Testament is authoritative over our life. Yes. Yeah, that's a common misconception. Yeah, I mean, the law, the yeah. Torah, is is authoritative over our life. Right. Now, the Torah has been transfigured in its fulfillment in Christ. So yeah. there are certain parts of the Torah that no longer, quote-unquote, apply, but they actually do apply. It's right. just that they apply through Christ, who has transfigured that, Right. So the reason that we the reason that Christians don't have to get circumcised is because the that marking of what makes you a, a child of God, right. a son of God, yes, uh, that applied to Israel has been fulfilled in Christ. Yeah. And so instead of circumcision, we do baptism. Right. But that doesn't mean that circumcision doesn't apply to us. It means, yeah. it, it means that it's been fulfilled in Christ, and right. we are now in Christ. But there are certain things like murder that's a commandment of the Old Testament <laughs> that nothing about what Jesus did changes that or makes that not apply to right. us. Thou shalt not murder. You know, the fulfillment of Christ, that still applies. In fact, it yeah, applies in a more stringent he way. He takes it further. He says if you even think about, you know, yeah, if you, you hate, hate your, your brother, brother, you've committed murder. Right. That's not, you know, an abolishing of the law. That's like doubling down on the law. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really making it more more stringent. Yeah. And it's it's calling for the fact that in Christ and then being indwelt by the Spirit, even who we are yeah. is supposed to be transformed, not just what yeah. we do. Uh, and so, you know, that authority of Scripture is the whole counsel of God. Yeah. The whole counsel of God has authority over our life. Yeah, and, and we're going to start from Genesis, and we'll go through the Old Testament. Yep. And this is relevant to our lives. It, it is. And it there's is. a reason why we wouldn't start, you know, at Matthew. Right. Just read through the New Testament, because all of this is authoritative and relevant to our lives. And I don't, I don't want to belabor this point, because we're not going to, like, get into Scripture. So yeah. these are just kind of cliffhangers. Yeah. But, you know, the sacrificial system applies to us. Right. It's been fulfilled in Christ. Mm -hmm. But when we look at the cross, and we call ourselves people of the cross we are participating in a sacrifice, the, mm -hmm. the once and for all sacrifice. So Jesus fulfilled the sacrificial system. There's no longer animals that have to be taken to the temple and sacrificed in order for us to approach God. How do we approach God? Through the sacrifice of Christ. Right. So we actually participate in the sacrificial system. We participate in the fulfilled sacrificial system of Jesus. Uh, and so people don't... when when Usually when people today will say that the law has been fulfilled, not abolished, they actually think that fulfilled means the same thing yeah. as abolished, right? It's just Jesus it abolished still doesn't it, apply. so yeah. But that's not true. Yeah, right. It, it does apply right. in a fulfilled way. 
So the, so the sacrificial system is the best example of that because like yeah. we think that it would be crazy to go to the temple and to spill the blood of animals and to burn them and in order to approach God. But what we do is we have spilled the blood of God become flesh, and then we actually eat the flesh and we drink the blood in communion, right. and we approach God in the eternal sacrifice of Christ. So we are actually participants yeah. in the fulfilled sacrificial system of the Old Testament. Yeah. And so... Uh, we should understand Leviticus because whatever's going on in Leviticus in terms of the sacrifices is fulfilled in Jesus. Absolutely. And if you read in the New Testament, so much of the New Testament is a reference to the Old Testament. So it it's not is. even fair. Right. So it's not even fair to say, well, I think I know what went on in the Old Testament. I'll just read the New Testament. Right. Most of the New Testament is like, do you remember this from the Old Testament? And you're right. like, oh, I better go read that. Right, right, yeah. right. And, and so, like, again, like, you know, that doesn't mean that you can't gain things from reading the New Testament without understanding the Old Testament. Sure, That's yeah. the beauty of the grace of God. And, uh, but it does mean that there's a really, really rich theology and reality that you're not quite tapping into if, yeah. you, if you haven't, you know, understood what Christ is fulfilling. Yeah, and I think the beauty is if you start in the New Testament, if you're reading it faithfully, it should reveal to you something about the Old Testament that makes you want to learn more. Right. And so, you know, the, the authority, though, th this, is, this, is the interest, this is really interesting to have to navigate in our culture. This is kind of the thing that people don't like. Yeah. Uh, I think this isn't always true. And so I, I, I never want to say, like, you know, people who don't believe are like this. But a lot of deconstruction comes from the fact that people don't want that part of their life to be submitted to the authority of God. Right. Um, and so like when people come to me typically to talk about a certain doctrine or ethical position that we have as a church that they don't like, they don't ever come to me with scripture. Right. They're not actually claiming that I'm in, that, that I and, and our lead pastor and our elder board are interpreting the scriptures incorrectly. Yeah. That's not actually what they're upset about. Yeah. They don't want to do that and they don't think that they should have to. Right. Because, you know, m much of our culture is averse to, to uh, outside external authority telling you what to do. And this story that we should understand what we want inside and then be authentic and pursue that at all costs is antithetical to the biblical understanding of ethics and morality and the yeah. authority of God. And so when those things come in contact with each other, you, you see this in the church, there, there's fireworks. Right. There's lots that's in the Bible that people are okay with, and they don't challenge that, and they don't have a problem with the fact that the church holds itself under that authority. But there are some things that they really don't like, and when those things come to the surface, it is very rarely that someone comes to us and says, I think you're interpreting this verse wrong. Yeah. Here's what I think you, how you should interpret it. Yeah. It is almost always, I don't like this, and I don't want to do it. Right. And I think it's either mean or rude or hateful. Right. for you to say that I should. Right. Right. Um, and, you know, it, even in our, like, Christian milieu, like in a community of Christians, there, there are strange ideas about this. You know, that like, I think we touched on this last time, but the idea that God loves us and that he's given us grace and so we don't have to do anything. Right. Because authority doesn't matter if you don't have to do anything. Yeah. I mean, if you just have to believe that Jesus is who he says he is and then say the sinner's prayer, 
and then right. wait to go to heaven when you die, yeah. then who cares about authority? Right. And that's a very common thread that you see in in our American Western modern modern faith. Uh, but but th- that that's not what grace means. <laughs> yeah. And that's not what God has done for us. Yeah. You know, the the grace of God, he's he's given us more grace than we could possibly imagine and he loves us deeper than than we could possibly imagine. Mm. Uh, but that's not what faith means. Yeah, the the church offers, you know, historically the the understanding of faith is to submit your will to God, especially right. in those places that you don't want to, right? Trevin Wax says that's the adventure when you actually encounter something so real that it mm. constrains you at those very places where you'd be mi- most likely to go astray. Yeah, there's the, I, I've heard um, uh, uh, David Bentley Hart is a Eastern Orthodox theologian, and he gives this analogy where he talks about like, uh, you know, let's say that, that you're a part of a, a society that's kind of like ancient Rome, where every weekend they draw out of the lottery somebody who goes into the Colosseum mm. and everybody comes to watch. And it's a game where you have to pick one of three doors. Behind one of the doors is, you know, the love of your life. And if you open that door, you get to marry her and, and you know, live happily ever la- mm-hmm. after. Behind the other door is something somewhat painful, like uh, someone hits you in the shins with a baseball bat. Okay. Behind the third door is a lion that's going to eat you and kill you. And so this is the game. This is why people come and they watch because it's like the lottery and like you're yeah. either, you know, either going to get this really cool thing or you're going to get something awful. And he said, what if you got tipped off that behind door number three was the lion? Would, would you then, would you ever choose door number three? Right. And the answer is no. But technically your choices just got constrained. Yes, yeah. Right? Because yeah. you're not going to choose that door. You've been told that door three is bad for you. And so you had three choices. Yeah. And choice is good, right? Yeah. But now you only have two. Hmm. And so technically, the way that we think about freedom, your, your freedom has been taken away. The way that Christians understand freedom, you have gained freedom. Yeah. Because you're not going to die at the hands yeah. of a lion. Right? So, so Christian, the Christian understanding of freedom, Jesus says that uh, if you obey me, then you will be my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and then the truth will make yes. you free. So you work that backwards, and it's like, well, what makes you free? Obeying Christ. Yeah. Which means that in your Christian walk, there's going to be all kinds of things that you, that you are to do and all kinds of things that you are not to do. Yes. And that actually, in terms of Christian theology, means freedom. Yeah. And the crazy thing about unlimited arbitrary choice being the meaning of our life is actually a mirage and it's not true and it's not true freedom and it does not lead to fulfillment and it does not lead to what we're looking for. Yeah. And I think we're seeing that (laughs) certainly. Yeah. What do you mean by that? I I think that, you know, this generation, I'll I'll speak for myself as a, an older Gen Z. Um, my generation is plagued with existential dread with questions of who they are and what their life means. And, And, depression and anxiety because partially because of those things. I I mean, in a rate that we've never seen before and they've been presented with the most freedom to do whatever they want, right. Right. To choose who they are. And yet, you know, you would think that existential dread and, and the questioning of, you know, 
purpose would go down with more choices, but it actually goes way far up. We're yeah. seeing way more. You know, the, the thing about the secular salvation schema, which is kind of what you're talking about, yeah. uh, you know, you decide who you are, do whatever your heart desires, don't let any external authority change yeah. you, don't let your internal conscience repress you, be you, do you, and you'll be free and you'll right. be happy. Uh, it doesn't work. And I don't even have to believe in, you know, God or the scripture to know that I'm not perfect. Right. And so it would be ridiculous to think that I know who I am right. the best and know how to do it the best. Also, like, it just, it demonstratively yeah. does not work. Yeah. You know, like you like you said, we're, we're not healthy. No. We're not healed. We're not free. We're depressed. We're anxious. We're burdened. We're hopeless. Yeah. And we're addicted. Mm-hmm. And we're broken, and many of us are destroyed. And so, you know, like like C.S. Lewis says in the Screw Tape Letters, what happens when you give yourself to things that are not God is not that they give you a, a lot of fun, and then oh darn, you get damned to hell at the end. Yeah, it's that they take your soul and they give you nothing. Yeah, it's, it destroys you in this life. It, it destroys you now. But that's not what we're promised through obedience to God. Right. Through by holding ourselves under the authority of Scripture, we're promised something truly beautiful in our submission. Because the God that's revealed in Scripture is, you know, is a is a God who's loving and compassionate, a God who wants us to flourish. Right. The whole reason He created us. And so we are submitting to a covenant document between a compassionate, loving, faithful, and redeeming God and His people who He redeemed. And cares for and protects. Yeah, that's actually why the authority of Scripture is not only, you know, not it's not only like not bad. It's it's beautiful. Beautiful, right? The you know, you read through the Psalms, and Psalm one nineteen is is the longest Psalm, mm-hmm. and it's about the beauty of the Torah, the law. Mm. So sometimes, like because we have this weird thing, which we will get into. We think that the law was bad, but the grace of Jesus is good. But yeah. that's not true. The law was grace. The law was grace because what was God doing? When Moses ratifies the covenant in Deuteronomy, God, uh, Moses looks at the people and he says, before you are two ways. There's the, the way of life, following the, the commandments of God, being yeah. obedient, and there's the way of death. And so you, by ratifying this covenant, you're going to choose yeah. which one you follow. And the people of Israel, they don't, you know, broadly speaking, they don't follow the way of life. And what happens? They, they, they suffer the consequences right. of that. And so on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you know, broad is the road that leads to destruction and many will find it. Narrow is the road that leads to life and only few find it. It's the same thing that uh, Moses said to the people. Yeah. It's the same thing. Yeah. Because that's the choice. You, you follow God who created this world, who loves you, who wants to redeem you, who wants to transform you, who wants to fulfill you, and you find those things. Yeah. It doesn't mean you don't suffer. It doesn't mean life isn't scary. It doesn't mean that you'll be free from all tragedy. It means that you will have the one thing that you were always promised, the one thing that can't be taken away from you, or you follow all of the promises of this world, and they are shiny, and they do promise to save you, and you look around you, and the people around you are following those things, and so you follow that, but inevitably it will lead to where it's promised to lead to. Right. And I don't just mean the afterlife. I mean in, in, in this life. 
Yeah. And so the, the authority of God, if indeed this is the Word of God, if indeed this is inspired by God, and if indeed uh, it's true, it leads to life. Hmm. And so the authority of God is a beautiful thing. Yeah. It's not something that we should be afraid of. It's not something we should be angry about. It's something that we should be grateful about because yeah. he's given us a gift. This is what you are to believe, and this is how you are to live. Yeah, and even in our struggle and submission, those are the places in my life. The places in my life that I, I've struggled hardest to submit to God are the places that I find the most grace in, mm. you know? Definitely. So that that when I finally say, you know what, maybe you're right mm -hmm. about this, I experienced something so much more beautiful than if I had said, I think I'm right and I'm going to keep this to myself. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The the authority of Scripture because of the authority of God yeah. leads to repentance. Mm -hmm. And repentance in the Bible is not a sad thing. It's a beautiful celebration yeah. of turning away from death and, and finding life. Right. And so uh, the, the only way you're going to experience the fruit of repentance is when you find the things in your life that you need to repent yeah. of right? The places where you're weak, the places where you're not obedient. You know, I have certain strengths in my walk, things that are easy for me. And then I have certain weaknesses. And it is in those weaknesses that the confrontation has to happen so that I can become more truly what God desires for right. me to be and that I can become more, more truly fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, to summarize authority, uh, the scriptures teach us what to believe and how to behave. Mm -hmm. that's actually simple. If you're going to follow God, you have to affirm that. Mm -hmm. And so then your journey is about the details, how the submission plays out in the subtleties of your life. And that is complex. And there can be disagreements or variations in that, uh, especially in, in, in the details and the art and the science of interpretation. But you know, my plea to people is always to just go on that journey. Mm -hmm. If you deny the authority of scripture, you're never going to find out. Yeah. Because you're not talking about interpretation. You're talking about generally speaking, does God have authority over my life? If you say no, then I mean, there's no reason no, to read Yeah, the nothing else matters. There's, no reason, there's yeah. no reason to follow it. And so many people are in that position Yeah, where they say, if the Bible says this, I'm not going to follow it or I'm not going to follow God. Yeah. And that is not the correct approach. So the reason this is important is because as we come to the scriptures and we start to read through these, um, probably beginning in a couple weeks, these are the assumptions that we're bringing to the table. Right. That the Bible is the word of God. It's inspired by God. It is inerrant. It's true. And it has authority over our life. Yeah. And so we have to figure out what it means so that we can submit to it, so that we can become free so that we can become what we're supposed to be and yeah. what, what God desires for us. Um, the only other things, and we don't have to get into this too much because we're, we're, we're running up against the time, but, but the Bible is also, it's sufficient. So I said earlier that it doesn't reveal everything. Right. But it is sufficient for us to know God and to be united to God and to move into relationship with Him and yeah. therefore to have salvation. Yeah. So it's sufficient and it's clear. Now, much of it's not clear, which is kind of why we're doing <laughs> this podcast. But, it's, but it is clear enough yeah. that what is there by doing the work and by trying to understand and by submitting yourself to it, there is a clarity there yeah. that leads you to, where you to where you need to go. Yeah. We're not waiting on more yeah. revelation. Yeah, we as Christians are not 
wringing our hands, you know, waiting for what God says next. He said right. it. Right. And so now we've got work to do. Exactly. Yeah. And he still moves. Yeah. But he moves in our life according to scripture. Yes. Right? Yeah. So so we'll, we'll probably get into that. But as the spirit prompts you, you're, you're, we're actually taught by our, by the church fathers uh, and by Paul to uh, check your prophecy with scripture. Check the prophetic words of God that you're getting yes. with Scripture. Yeah. He's not going to tell you to do something that goes against what, what yes. the Scriptures teach. Right. He's not. That that would that would destroy much of what we talked about today. Right. Right. You would have to not believe in one of those things that that we talked about today. Um, and so it is sufficient. It is clear, uh, and it's a beautiful it's a beautiful gift yeah. that we've been given. And what we're going to find out is that a lot of the complexity and things that are kind of confusing when you first engage it, those are the things that make it beautiful. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not so much that certain parts of the Bible contradict themselves as it is that the experience of being a human in this world is confusing and it's hard. And things that seem true at one point later don't seem true. Things that you're sure about at one point you later have deep regret about. Yeah things that you felt like you were just jumping off a cliff and and giving your you know blind faith end up being the best decisions you made sometimes right. like being a human is is confusing so so Frederick Buchner says that uh, although the bible is a book about both the sublime and the unspeakable it is also a book about life and the way that life really is it is a book about people who at one and the same time can be both believing and unbelieving innocent and guilty crusaders and crooks full of hope and full of despair. In other words, it is a book about us. So what we're going to find out is that what God has given us, although we sit there and upon like first analysis, we say, I would have done this differently. I would have given them something else. I would have given them a list of rules. Do this, do these eight things. Uh, we, that's not actually what we want because that's not actually how life is. Yeah. And so the crazy complex stories about Abraham and Moses and Jacob and Isaac and, the stories of King David and Saul and the, the, the prophets and then the life of Jesus and then the craziness of Acts, like these reflect what life is like. Yeah, our lives are equally it's crazy complex. and complex. We're going to have to take this stuff and figure out how to go to work with it on Monday. Yeah. It's hard. Hmm. And the scriptures reflect that. Um, and so, so the, you know, we're not just defining the technical pieces of the, the Bible. It is the Word of God. It is inspired. It is inerrant. It is, yep. you know, that, that's a, it is all of those things. And the reason that we, and, and the reason it's, it's beautiful to assume that and to know that and to dive in with those assumptions is because then what the Bible tells you is what's going to give you life yeah. and, and freedom. And so it's a beautiful thing. So, so next, uh, next time, I think what we're going to do is we're going to have a guest and we're going to talk about. Uh, some of the apologetics of like, why, how do we know that this isn't a corrupted document? Yes. Why should we have faith that, that, you know, what we have as the Bible is the right thing to have? Right. What about all the other things that were produced around the same time that, that didn't quote unquote make the cut? Yeah. You know, the extra biblical stuff, the non-canonical material. Uh, Many people watched or read the Da Vinci Code. And so we have this idea that something fishy went on with the production of the Bible and, and what's the timeline in terms of when the canon was set, all that stuff, uh, which um, the spoiler is that I think that there are decent objections to the Christian faith, but this is not one of them. <laughs> 
And so there's more than enough uh, information. And in terms of an ancient document, there's a wealth yeah. information that we don't even really know what to do with. And so we'll dive yeah. into that next time. And soon enough, we will get into the scriptures. All right. Sweet. All right, Jack. Yeah, I appreciate you. And I appreciate everybody who's listening. And we will see you guys soon.